This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. We have a desperate premier here in the province of Ontario. Canada's most populous premier is desperate, desperate, desperate to get reelected. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA, the mighty 580 here in the nation's capital. Wherever you are watching, hello, welcome. But let me tell you, um, we've got a great show lined up. Did you hear about the latest poll regarding Justin Trudeau and the Liberals? We're going to talk about that on the show tonight. We've got the woman behind the poll, Shanchi Curl, will join us just after 7.30 to discuss those poll results that show millennials are fleeing Justin Trudeau. And where are they going to? Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. So Bruce Anderson uh, over there at Abacus, he that likes to put forward liberal talking points all the time, he can shut up with his... Well, uh, conservatives won't actually uh, get millennial votes unless they behave like liberals. He can shut up on that because it's not true. Uh, The liberals are bringing in a new gun bill and so far could come out tomorrow. But so far, the only details that they're actually releasing won't deal with the uh, the actual gun problem we have in Canada, which is. Gangs with guns shooting each other. I'll get into the details on that. I posted on this on the weekend at brianlilly.com. If you haven't been going to brianlilly.com yet, you've got to go there. So much good information posted there over the weekend. Traffic through the roof. So thank you all for coming out and supporting me there. But the details are there. We'll talk about them just after 8 o'clock. And Canada's going to Mali. Could you pick Mali out on a map? All I know is it's the, well, I could actually. But what I do know, the most important thing, it is the most dangerous place on the planet is in terms of U.N. security peacekeeping missions. So that'll be just after 8.30 with Joe Varner. But right now, let's talk about Kathleen Wynne, the woman that's leading the most populous province in the country. And what did she propose today when it came to the throne speech that was read out by our Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dodswell? She promised basically everything except free oil changes and ponies for the people of Ontario. Your government will make significant investments in the operation of our hospitals. This will reduce the wait times people experience when they Mm. need care. There will be major investments in home care to provide more services for people aging at home and provide financial relief for families caring for aging loved ones. There's also going to be more Student assistance in terms of student loans and grants. There's going to be an extended pharmacare program. All this from the government that's been in power for 15 years. 15 years they've had to do this and they've done none of it. Now they're just before an election. They're in third place in many polls. And now all of a sudden she's, you know, we'll give you everything. Let's have a universal tire rotation program for the people of Ontario. Universal tire rotation is what we need. Universal car buying. Why not? I mean, if the NDP had actually suggested that, the liberals would have stolen it. That's how bad things are. But 
the NDP leader, Andrea Horvath, is actually pointing out how despicable Wynne is with her fake promises at the 11th hour. For 15 years, Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals have had a chance to uh, make these changes. They've chosen not to do so. They've chosen instead uh, to destroy our hospitals. They've chosen instead uh, to get rid of our our uh, public hydro system and make it private. These are not good for Ontario. Had they wanted to do anything that they're now going to promise, they had plenty of time to do it. That's the big difference. They had plenty of time to do it, and they didn't. Exactly right. I wanted to play the NDP first so that you're not just thinking, oh, big, mean conservatives want to take away all the good social programs from that the liberals are going to promise us it's going to be so good. Now, even the NDP are calling bull crap on Kathleen Wynne and the liberals because nobody believes them at this point. Lisa McLeod for the progressive conservatives, their finance critic, denouncing the throne speech today as as nothing but fancy baubles put in the window because it's election time. Look, this is a Liberal government that just uh, had a big re-announcement, abused the, uh, the goodwill of the Crown in order to do so, and in doing so, then the, the goodwill of this legislature. Uh, we are going to fight an election on June the 7th, and our priorities will be put forward in the next coming days, and uh, we'll be able to not only debate this throne speech, but also the $8 billion hole that the Liberals are going to come forward with in their, in their budget as of next Wednesday. Yeah. Did you hear that? Their budget as of next Wednesday. They bring out the budget next week. I don't think the Liberals are coming back on this. Now, if you want to know how desperate they are, let me take you back to last Friday. And again, this is something that I wrote up at brianlilly.com. Heard about it late Friday. I wasn't on Friday night, so didn't get to talk about it. I mean, there was no shortage of news Friday night, but I had no show. Kathleen Wynne visits Humber College. This is not a campaign stop, people. This is the elected premier of Ontario going to a provincially mandated and funded public education institution, Humber College. And she's telling young people, no, she's warning young people, if you don't vote for me, if you don't get out and vote Old white people are going to decide this election. You know, if you don't vote, then somebody looks like me is going to vote. Some senior person older than me, some white person. You know, the reality (laughs) is that that's the demographic that's going to get out and vote. Oh, let me laugh as I point out that it's going to be some white person. (laughs) Ha ha ha. How divisive do you have to be to have a premier saying, if you don't vote, those old whiteies are going to do it. And most of the media gives her a pass. Now, thankfully, here at News Talk 580 CFRA, that did not happen. And a few of my friends in media did not let this pass. I know Rob Snow talked about this. I know Bill Carroll did. I know Evan Solomon did. Where is it in the daily newspapers? Why is this not being denounced? Stephen Harper said old stock Canadians in a far less offensive way than this. And there was no end to the columns to the political chat show panels denouncing how racist he was. And this, (laughs) well, she's an old white person too. Yes, but what's her warning? In front of, and all we can tell is what was behind her, right? It was a carefully selected, demographically balanced, actually probably tilting more towards the diversity, ethnic diversity side of things. We got to make sure this is honestly how they think. These are the discussions they have. No, we need, we need a couple of, of, of brown students here. We can, can we get a, 
a, a girl and a guy. We need we need more black Canadians behind her. Uh, is there anybody in a hijab we can put back there? Okay, now we can put a white girl back there. That's honestly how they talk is they set these things up. And so she is in front of this group of ethnically diverse students. And, and, and believe me, the latest polls show these students, there's a good chance they're going to be voting against her. But she's saying, she's warning them, if you don't do this, if you don't get out and vote, those old white people will steal the election. And you know that she's pointing at Doug Ford. Meanwhile, one of the senior advisors in her office, a guy named Adam Shedletsky, he's the former co-founder of Lead Now. Lead Now is an organization that was founded in Vancouver back around 2010. They had a big impact on the last election, according to their own pumped-up stats. They claimed that they helped defeat 25 of the 29 conservative MPs that they targeted in the federal election. They are running a campaign against Doug Ford. They've got a petition, Stop Ford. They are claiming that he will engineer massive tax cuts for the rich, slash public services, and make Ontario less safe for uh, minorities in, by emboldening his base of extremists. So she is out there saying, if you don't vote, old white people will take this election. Her allies are saying Doug Ford will make Ontario less safe for extremists. Anybody that believes that does not know who Doug Ford's base is. Doug's for, Doug Ford's base is the most diverse political base I have ever seen in politics, and I've been at this almost 20 years. I've covered federal, provincial, municipal uh, election campaigns. I've covered uh, municipal politics in two provinces and multiple cities. I've covered provincial campaigns in Ontario, in Quebec, in Saskatchewan, in Alberta, in British Columbia. On the ground. I've never seen any group as diverse as Doug Ford's base. And they're saying his base of racist extremists. They're also claiming that he will roll back uh, access to abortion, roll back the minimum wage and gut public services in order to line the pockets of billionaires. They are complete lies by a foreign funded lobby group that if they did not violate the letter of the federal election law in the last campaign, violated the spirit of the law and pointed to several glaring loopholes that need to be closed. Now they're doing this at the provincial level, while Kathleen Wynne promises everything, including the kitchen sink. Don't think we won't be talking more about that over the coming days. You can find out details on Lead Now and Doug Ford at brianlilly.com. Check out the rest of this show tonight at CFRA.com. If you're outside of our listening area, log in, CFRA.com. Listen on your computer, your phone, your laptop. You can also download the iHeartRadio app, uh, download iHeartRadio 2.0, always free, Apple or Android. Get rid of the other one. It is a fantastic way to listen to the radio station in clear digital sound, and you can join in the rest of the program. I'm Brian Lilly. Thanks for listening. Back in moments with the five stories you need to know. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
please. Ryan Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Story number one that you need to know. Kathleen Wynne is trying to buy your vote and your vote and your vote and your vote and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. Oh, her throne speech today at Queen's Park. It was the lieutenant governor that had to read the dribble. Elizabeth Dodswell doing her best in what was obviously a pre-election, pre-budget attempt to win votes. The 2018 budget will show a modest deficit next year of less than 1% of our GDP and outline a path back to a balanced budget. A path back to a balanced budget. We just had a balanced budget. We're only going into deficit so that the Liberals can promise everything under the sun to the voters. Voters that, by the way, Kathleen Wynne doesn't trust. Story number two. I know it's from Friday, but this has not received enough attention, and it needs to be shared and posted and talked about. And you can find the full audio on my website, Kathleen Wynne warning young students at a publicly funded institution, if you don't vote, old white folk will determine the election. You know, if you don't vote, then somebody who looks like me is going to vote. Some senior person older than me, some white person. You know, the reality is that that's the demographic that's going to get out and vote. Some white person. (laughs) Now, Kathleen, if those students get out and vote, they're going to vote for Andrea Horvath or Doug Ford. They're not voting for you. That's that's the sad part. This is why you sounded so nervous, perhaps. Kathleen Wynn playing race cards. Uh, you know, let's play that. Imagine if so-and-so did this. If Doug Ford did that, he'd be denounced. Remember Stephen Harper in Old Stock? But also... I'm sure the media are waiting for Doug Ford to say, if you don't vote, black people will. But, of course, Ford won't say that. The media think he will say that, but Ford won't say that because go down to Toronto. See who his base is in Etobicoke, in Scarborough. It is the multi-ethnic communities around the downtown core that do this. By the way, I forgot to tell you, but you can find the link in the, the story I posted on Lead Now. Uh you know, they denounce Ford as being racist and, uh, you know, and targeting minorities and all, all this. He provided a link to this. The entire staff that they profile on the website of Lead Now, yeah, it's a bunch of young white kids. Story number three, you need to know, we're um, kind of putting some details in behind maybe our mission to Mali to join U.N. peacekeeping. If you recall, the Trudeau liberals promised to get Canada back into peacekeeping in a big way. That was a big election promise. They didn't want to be like those bad, mean conservatives and just deal with ISIS and Afghanistan and the Taliban and the Ukraine and Latvia situations that were going on. And that's where we had stationed our troops. We put our troops in to help train Ukrainian troops. To say to Ukraine, we've got your back. We put our troops, our ships, our planes into Latvia, Lithuania to say, we've got your back while Russia was threatening them. And we weren't putting our troops into UN peacekeeping missions anymore because there were other more pressing needs. But the liberals said, we're going to get back into peacekeeping big time. Well, two and a half years later, 
they are finally looking like they're going to do it, except during their announcement today, you had Global Affairs Minister Christia Freeland and Defense Minister Harjit Sejan. And what could they tell us? Well, gosh darn it, we're going to make sure there's a marked female presence in this. Hooray, we're feminists, good for us. And we're going to send six military hol- helicopters into the mission. The task force will include two Chinook helicopters, will provide much-needed transport and logistics capability, as well as four armed Griffin helicopters for armed escort and protection. Okay, well, how many women will go? Um, We can't really say. How many soldiers will go completely? Uh, We can't really say. When will they go? We can't say. We'll talk about that about an hour from now. Story number uh, four you need to know about, and that is the federal government saying that Canadians broadly support the tight regulations on pot. So what have they decided to do? Opaque child-resistant Containers with a bright yellow health warning similar to those used on tobacco products. Yeah, they they kind of got that stop sign out there. Here's Health Minister Jeanette Pettipot-Taylor. So we want to make sure that it's childproof and also that it's tamper-evident. So the best comparison that I can talk about when I say that it's tamper-evident, when we purchase Tylenol, uh, we know that there's a, a little button that you have to turn, but also there's a, kind of that silver foil that's on it. Well, you know if it's been tampered, if the foil's been released. So it's going to be those types of measures. Yeah, that might be why their results are following falling with young people. Story number five, we'll do this quickly. Melnick out. The fan-funded billboards critical of the Ottawa Senators' leadership have gone up in Ottawa. You've been hearing about it all day on CFRA. You heard about it from Terry Marcotte on CTV News at 6, and you can find the story on our website. Hashtag Melnick out. Three billboards across Ottawa. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk Trudeau's poll results next. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. And it makes a fiery ring. Johnny Cash and the Ring of Fire. Well, the, the question of the HQ right now has to be, are they facing a ring of fire? The latest poll from the Angus Reid Institute says that if an election were held today, Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives would take 40% support across the country compared to just 30% for the Liberals. But it's worse than that. Justin Trudeau's approval ratings down. He's tanking with millennials. Ah, is the sky falling for him? Let's bring in Shachi Curl. She's the executive director of the Angus Reid Institute, a friend of this program, joining us on the line from beautiful, warm Vancouver. Are these are these numbers for real, Shachi? You're such a harbinger of doom, Brian. <laughs> well, harbinger of doom, you. You've got Justin Trudeau tanking with millennial voters. I mean, this is no, no, bread no, no. and he's butter. He's tanking. He's already tanked. Now he's kind of <laughs> hanging in there. It's all good. Um, look, uh, is he in a ring of fire? Let's just say he's he's getting a little uncomfortable in the sauna. It's probably a little hotter than he'd like. <laughs> I don't think the man is aflame just yet. 
Okay, uh, those don't uh, sound like words they want to hear over at Liberal no, Party HQ. I, agreed. I agree. None of these are, are particularly comforting words. I, I am sure, you know, if if challenged, the word out of HQ would be the usual, we don't pay attention to polls. But of course they pay attention to polls. And, and this poll um, is consistent with a number of other ones that show a decline for the Liberals and certainly one that is showing a widening gap in advantage for the Conservatives. Brian, this is driven by two things. I know you've got your, your hair-brained theories of your own. I will debunk them one at a time, but first <laughs> let me just set up. Okay. Let me just set up the two reasons this is this is really coming um, apart for them at the moment. Just a little bit. We're starting okay, to Okay, before we get spray. to my hair-brained mm-hmm. theories, we talk about yours. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. Okay. So first of all, obviously, the big one, the India trip, that is the most sort of obvious billboard for for what's been going wrong. But actually, the seeds of this, the foundations of this, uh, they go back a good six months, if not longer, to what we've been seeing, which is increasing concern with the state of deficit uh, spending in this country. So over time, we have seen that as a, a major issue or a top issue really gradually increase. Uh, Two years ago, the number one issue, the most important issue facing the country today was the economy uh, at 47% and deficit spending, uh, government spending at 12%. It has that that deficit issue, that government spending issue, has uh, steadily risen over time and now overtaken the importance and the primacy of economic performance in this country as the number one issue. And it is driven there by older Canadians who are worried, who have seen what what big deficits can do in terms of austerity down the road, and they're worried. They want to see a return to balance. And that has been part of the underlying story that is really starting to surface now for the Liberals. Okay, I'm going to quote you to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote your polls to you. And you say this is driven by older Canadians. Well, in the last election, the, the poll that you took three days before the last federal election, you had Justin Trudeau and the Liberals at 43% among voters 18 to 34. The NDP huh? was at 23%, and the Conservatives were in third at 22. Uh, the Conservatives barely eked out a 1% lead over the Liberals among those 35 to 54, and a five-point lead with people 55-plus. Now, the Liberals and the Conservatives are tied at 30% apiece among those 18 to 34. The 35 to 54 age category, it's a seven-point lead, and it's a 15-point lead for the Conservatives among those age 55-plus. So this is more than just seniors. These are millennials saying, yeah, um, you know, he sounded good, but socks will only take you so far. To an extent, when I look at that slippage and when I combine that with propensity to vote and when I combine that with what's going on in the cities, it says to me that, yes, millennials have turned away, they've turned off, they, they, they also are not part of this narrative that is seeing numbers sinking and sinking and sinking. Where the real concern is, is among those Gen X and those baby boomer voters. The millennials, you know, they're flirting with Jugmeet Singh right now. He looks pretty good in a suit, too. He's very, he's 
He's he's well dressed. Sixteen percent say they'd vote he's, for him. He's all is he's also saying, by the way, that you know he's spending a lot more time is Mr. Singh talking about domestic policy in in a different country and and not Canadian domestic policy. Yeah, I may have I noticed. Would say, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would suggest that you know if Justin Trudeau is looking for for glimmers of hope or or a path back to victory uh, with this uh, with this polling with what we're seeing, it's two things. One, he's he's not necessarily leading anymore, but he's competitive in the cities. The real real decline has been for him in Ontario and in that 905 area around Ontario. Much of that driven by what's been going on with Kathleen Wynne and the dynamics around Doug Ford and the Conservatives in Ontario really coming on very strong. Um, All of that may actually recalibrate a little bit after the June election. If we see the uh, uh, progressive Conservatives uh, in Ontario form government, what that actually does is it has the impact of galvanizing centre and centre-left voters bringing them back together, saying, okay, we took this one black eye in the Ontario election. We've got to get it together. We've got to recalibrate and get ready for the federal election because we don't necessarily want to see a big wave of blue uh, shadowing the entire country. This is what Ontario Liberals will be saying. We know there isn't a lot of daylight between the provincial and the federal party in that province, and so they may be prepared to take a lump on the Ontario election uh, provincially, uh, and then and then come back together and regroup and and use Doug Ford if he's elected in June as a foil against Justin Trudeau and I could, in uh, in 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 the in the 2019 election. I could absolutely see that happening, and I want to get into some regional numbers in a minute. But let's look at cities versus rest of Canada before we go provincial. Mm-hmm. Um, you lump together Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, the three biggest cities. They tend to be more liberal-oriented than conservatives, and you've got the conservatives at 28, the liberals at 27. Rest of Canada, it's a 13-point lead for the conservatives outside of those three big cities. Mm-hmm. Andrew Shear's not setting the world on fire. Is this just people taking Justin Trudeau's act that we saw on display in India and saying, you know what, it's, it's wearing a little thin, the deficit spending is out of control— your selfies, your socks, all of it. They're just saying, mm, I don't know. It, it's not what I'd hoped for. I call it the parking lot syndrome or the parking lot factor at the moment. They're parking their vote theoretically somewhere else. Now are they going to go and, and go get their, their vote back and, and drive it to the where they want to drive it to in an election? Brian, we've got 18 months until an election federally. Like, that is an age. That is a millennia. That is that is an epoch in the uh, lives abso- of, of politicians. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there, there are some things that could go differently. Um, look, on, on, on spending, on getting back to balance, on the criticism that this government is taking around having no plan to return to balanced budgets, there are many economists who would say that as long as the fundamentals of the Canadian economy are performing well, that is not such a big deal. Now, a lot of other economists would disagree with that. I'm not an economist. I'm not going to get into it. But what I can say is this. We have a government that isn't really selling that reassurance or that message to Canadians very effectively. You do not see in Bill Morneau, for example, a finance minister such as 
Paul Martin or Jim Flaherty going, hey, Canadians, relax, people. I got this. I'm not going to tank our economy. So this government needs to be communicating its reasons for continuing to, to stay in deficit spending. If there is a good reason for that, then make the case reassure Canadians who are feeling like this is not the right way to go, explain to them while they're doing it. And, you know, I think the other impact here, the other effect, is that for a while now, you know, basically since his election last June as leader of the Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer sort of been this guy who's done a competent job of, of uh, exploiting this Liberal government's mostly self-inflicted wounds, number one, and number two, kind of, you know, hanging in there but staying below the radar. Um, now, with these numbers, with this, with this potential of uh, more voters saying, I think I want to take a second look at the Conservative Party, well, what does that do? That adds to scrutiny. A little bit more Scheer. pressure, a little bit more scrutiny for Scheer. And uh, as you say, it's, a harder it's, look at him. it's one of several polls. It's yourself. It's Ipsos. Nanos has shown a, 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 a shrinking, I believe, Main Street. You you mentioned um, deficit spending, that they're not selling it. And I'm not sure that today's throne speech in Ontario, where Kathleen Wynne promised uh, everything but free oil changes and ponies for the voters if they will just elect her. Universal oil Pony. changes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, universal ponies and universal oil changes for all drivers in Ontario. Those were the only things missing from the throne speech. Uh, and they're going back into deficit just before an election. Why? Ooh, maybe because they're unpopular. Uh, so that's not going to help the narrative. In, in Ontario right now, you've got the this split, at a 14-point difference. The, the Conservatives with a 14-point lead, 10 points in Manitoba. Uh, let me do the quick math here. That's uh, 26 points in Saskatchewan. <laughs> this, is, this is unreal. It's 48 <laughs> points in Alberta. And it's yeah. not even a commanding lead in, in Quebec. I mean, it's almost a three-way race. The only place the Liberals have a solid lead anymore is Atlantic Canada. Which and is you can't, the place they've always been safe. You can't win, except for, you know, 97 when they took away EI. You can't mm. win an election just on Atlantic Canada. No, you can't. So th- um, this is a big, you know, they've got to recalibrate. 18 months is a long time, but when you're that unpopular in so many regions, especially the regions with people in them, that's, that's tough to overcome. The only thing I'll say is this. I'm, I'm, I don't disagree with you, but here's the thing. You, you'll know, and, and for, for our, our listeners, uh, we took a look at where uh, Trudeau has stood relative to premiers of the past, uh, you know, about 30 months into their mandate or term. So you've got Trudeau at 29 months. You've got Harper. We looked at him at 28 months. Chrétien at the 28-month mark. And Brian Mulroney at the 30-month mark. Brian Mulroney's disapproved numbers were 62%. His approval numbers were 27%. This was 30 months in. This was March 1987. And then we had the free trade election in 88. Exactly. Exactly. And he got a bigger majority, didn't he? And got a bigger majority. So, you know, uh, I would say a couple of things here. First of all, the, the belief that, uh, that Justin Trudeau could not push Canadians to a point where, where, where they would seriously start kicking the tires of, of some other parties and different leaders, well, uh, that was always possible, and now we're seeing it happen. 
Second of all, uh, yeah, I would agree with you. The hardening uh, towards the Conservatives in traditional Conservative uh, uh, regions of strength, such as Alberta and Saskatchewan, is is quite uh, is is quite significant. The continued drops in Ontario, uh, really again predicated by dissatisfaction with the Wynn government, um, is serious business for these Liberals. But to but for anyone at Conservative Party headquarters to be uh, you know uh, popping bottles of of Moet Chandon too quickly. Uh, I would suggest that they, they might want to stick to light beer for the time being, because there's a long way to go. Yeah, I know some of the guys there, that's probably what they would pop, but they're also very pessimistic and might not pop anything. So uh, you, yeah. you've got an interesting 18 months ahead of you until the next uh, election, Sachi. This is going to be fantastic, topsy-turvy times. Uh, it's never boring, Brian. It's never boring. <gasps> All I right. love my work. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, take it easy. All right, drop us a line. Let us know what you think of these latest poll numbers. Will they hold? Are they going to shift? Will it go after the Ontario election? Will it shift back to to Justin in Ontario? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments. of the unofficial opposition. Brian Lilly is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Headline from the weekend, Goodale's gun bill targets a problem that doesn't exist. This is about the gun legislation that's going to come down tomorrow. We'll talk with Tracy Wilson from the Canadian uh, Coalition for Firearms Rights about uh, this right after the 8 o'clock news because uh, this legislation, well, we'll see what's in it tomorrow, but let's just say what they have profiled about it so far does doesn't leave you comfortable that they're actually going to target the source of the guns and gangs problem. Uh, maybe they've got something else up their sleeves. All these people, you just heard me speaking with uh, Shanchi Curl from Angus Reid Institute and millennial voters that were backing Justin Trudeau 43% in the last election. It's down to 30% now. We know a lot of them were young issue, one issue voters or new voters excited about him. Now, the one issue voters, I'm not saying everyone aged 18 to 34 voted for Justin Trudeau to legalize pot, but there were people that were highly motivated pardon the pun, to go out and vote for Justin Trudeau on that one issue. How disappointed do you think that they're going to be now that the regulations are actually coming to fruition? They're, they're putting them out there in dribs and drabs. And today, it was all about the packaging. You've got to have, this is Health Minister Jeanette Petty-Paw-Taylor saying that they've got to have a bright red stop sign containing a pot leaf and the letters THC. And she says this has to be on all the packaging and the rest of it's going to be plain white packaging. This will ensure Canadians are aware of the risks of using pot. 
With respect to the health warnings that are going to be there, it's, it's going to be very clear that there's risks associated to cannabis use. And also as well, uh, the red stop sign, it's an alarmist type of, of, of sign and people are going to recognize uh, that they have to be aware that there's cannabis within this product. They're going to a pot store to buy pot. How would they not know there was cannabis inside the product? It's a bit like the time I got on Delta Airlines and they handed me a bag of peanuts and on the back was a warning saying, contains peanuts. It said so on the package that it was peanuts, that it had a warning label. And by the way, the flight attendant told me, these are peanuts. Would you like some? Sometimes I, I don't think health officials think before they speak, and that includes uh, Miss Petty Paw Taylor, who also says these have to be opaque and child-resistant bags or containers that the pot is sold in. So we want to make sure that it's childproof and also that it's tamper-evident. So the best comparison that I can talk about when I say that it's tamper-evident, when we purchase Tylenol, uh, we know that there's a, a little button that you have to turn, but also there's a kind of that silver foil that's on it. Well, you know if it's been tampered, if the foil's been released. So it's going to be those types of measures. Those types of measures. I, I really don't think that, uh, A, this is going to please the voters that back Justin Trudeau on this, and B, I don't think that this is going to help put Jimmy the dope dealer out of business. I keep pointing out to you that one of the stated objectives of this was put organized crime out of business. Well, if you're organized crime, you are not trembling in your boots. You've got a a price that's far higher than the street level for pot. You've got sales mechanisms that are far more restrictive We're going to have 40 stores for all of Ontario, 400 municipalities, and we'll have 40 stores that are legal to sell pot in. Eventually, we'll go to 200, so one for every other municipality. Um, You're going to have it in this opaque packaging, plain packaging with a stop sign on it. Jimmy's still going to be down at the corner dealing to you anytime you want or dropping by your house to deliver, and that's why he doesn't have to worry about this. This was a ruse from the beginning, and all their regulations are proving it. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Hope you stick with us because we're going to break down the problems with the gun legislation when we come back. Resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Indeed, uh, as controversial as measures related to firearms can can be, and we've seen the kind of debate that's been provoked in the past around these issues, uh, that particular point with respect to background checks uh, and making sure that that uh, uh, that it is a system that works uh, to protect public safety. That's an area where there is uh, there is uh, broad broad consensus. Our goal is to prioritize. Okay, I had enough. That man says, you know, Ralph Goodell is a nice guy, but my word, he says a lot without saying anything. That was Ralph um, earlier in March, about two weeks ago. He hosted a National Guns and Gangs Summit. And you brought together a lot of people that wanted to discuss ways to combat the gunplay that's on our streets. And this is something that we know about in Ottawa. 
we know that there are street-level drug dealers, gangs, shooting each other up. Um, We're at, what, 20 shootings so far this year? Eight homicides? Maybe I've missed some over the weekend, didn't know about, but I don't think so. Those are concerning numbers. Those are numbers that would make anyone worry. And you would hope that if they're going to bring in new gun legislation, that they would target those people, the gangsters that are not following existing gun laws, and find a way to deal with them. But then I get sent this piece from the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, because Goodale was back home in Saskabush over the weekend. And he was saying that a whole lot of things about the gun legislation that will be tabled in the House of Commons tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And it's about things like records keeping by gun stores and calls it a safety measure. So I wrote up a piece at brianlilly.com and I pointed out that what the liberals are talking about so far are a lot of things that make people feel safe, but I'm not sure how it improves public safety. You heard them there talking about enhanced background checks. Well, this is a system that already has tough background checks. They're going to require purchases of firearms to show their license. That's kind of already required. Not kind of, that actually is required. He's going to require gun shops to keep records, and that's something that many gun shops already do, but I don't know how it actually helps public safety. This is a bill that is designed to convince the public that they're doing something, and in particular, it's designed to appeal to certain sectors. They want to make sure that suburban moms feel safe. Well, I want to bring in a suburban mom right now and ask her about this. Tracy Wilson is the vice president of public relations for a group called the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. That's right. Hi, Brian. Thanks a lot for having me in the studio tonight. So you are the antithesis of what the liberals are pitching at here because you're a suburban mom and grandma. I'm a grandma. And you advocate for gun owners in Canada. You happen to be a gun owner. Absolutely. My whole family is gun owners. It's a, it's a great sport. It's, um, you know, great to get in the outdoors and enjoy ourselves. And it's one of the safest sports we have in this country. So I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, I, I just don't feel safe with guns. Uh, so we need better legislation. How do you answer something like that? Well, I mean, it's, it's a little irrational, right? I, the gun itself is an inanimate object. And to have a fear of something that's made of polymer or plastic, um, you know, more well, people die every it, year in cars and we're not afraid of vehicles. Yeah, if you don't know how to handle it and someone hands it to you, I can understand being Absolutely. afraid of a gun. I, yeah. I, now, I happen to be lucky as a teenager. I was uh, taught a, a healthy respect and, and fear of handling them inappropriately. That's that'll, right. that'll lead to bad things. So that's the one side of it. You've got what Ralph Goodale's talking about. And you were at that Guns and Gangs Summit. That's right. And I, and I'd love to hear your thoughts because I thought coming out of it, it sounded like, okay, there's some good measures. And, and then we hear what they're pushing in the gun legislation. Um, before we get to the Guns and Gangs Summit, these measures that they said, enhanced background checks, requiring showing the license, keeping records, are any of those, I mean, this is what the government's pushing out there, so it's it's what they want the public to know about. Would any of those actually help the situation here in Ottawa where we've got drug dealers shooting each other with handguns. I'm not convinced that any gangbangers or criminals are going to follow any of that regulation. So, no, it's going to be completely ineffective as most gun control measures are. 
What did you hear when you were at the Guns and Gangs Summit? Well, I got to say, I, I went into there in there a little skeptical, as I am of all these kind of um, things. But he brought together 300 experts from across the country, all willing to work on the real issue, which is an issue in this country, and that is the rising gang violence. And I felt that there was about 297 of us there who were committed to working on the actual problem that plagues our nation. And three in the corner that were upset that it wasn't about gun grabbing. So... Yeah, I, I actually applaud the minister for his efforts. That is the kind of action that we need to see a positive difference. And, and in that, they were talking about gang diversion programs. They were talking about rehabilitation, getting yeah. people out of the life, that sort of thing. Exactly. They had all kinds of presentations throughout the morning and the afternoon from uh, community groups that work with gangs, um, you know, p- police, uh, law enforcement agencies that are working with them. They talked a lot about reintegrating um, gang members, you know, that would like to try and get out of that lifestyle. The issues with indigenous gangs out in the, um, you know, in Saskatchewan in and prairies, Manitoba. Yeah. And yeah, it was very positive. Um, they had speakers who were reformed gang members and spoke, you know, from personal experience. And they're now leaders in their community working with people trying to um, leave the gang lifestyle. I know... I'll get callers that will mock the idea that, uh, you know, basketball, after school basketball programs or a rec program, that that'll work. And and yet I've talked to our own police chief here and I've talked to Mayor Jim Watson and they will point to concrete examples of in troubled neighborhoods. Yeah, this works. Absolutely. And a lot of those uh, a lot of those outreach programs in the community that attended the summit, they had exactly that type of um, of programming going on and they're all looking for funding the event itself almost had the feel of a bit of a you know a giant lobby event because the minister had um, announced his commitment to 367 million towards um, the fight against guns and gangs and I I felt like they were all pitching their story because they're all looking for more funding Mm -hmm. and to be honest I think that's exactly where it needs to happen did when you hear someone saying I want to clean up guns and gangs as a gun owner are you bothered by that? Does that does that intimidate you? Do you think, well, they're going to make my life more difficult? Not in terms of, of you know, when you when you combine it with the word gangs, because we all want a safer Canada. And in fact, gun owners, you know, law abiding gun owners probably probably have a vested interest in getting those kind of um, people, you know, having the guns removed from those kinds of people. And uh you know, we wear the collective guilt that's assigned to us mm-hmm. whenever something happens. All of a sudden, you know, the blame turns to guns and you've got millions of us sitting here and we've literally done nothing wrong. So, you know, we, we support any effort to work on the actual problem of crime. Talk to me as a, as a woman that is involved in, in shooting sports. Uh, you've got the liberals playing up to people that aren't saying, well, you know, if we don't change the laws, then Tracy's going to be able to keep her handgun in her glove compartment while she goes to the grocery store. This is something yeah. that they actually claimed over permits about trans- transporting restricted firearms like a, um, certain rifles or handguns. Well, and I think it's important if you're going to talk about what we need to do or even, you know, start drafting legislation that it's important to understand what we've already got. Um, so you, know, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go no. over to Farm Boy and uh, <laughs> leave your 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 pistol in your glove box. No, of course not. No, okay. absolutely not. No, it's to and from the range, and that's it. And that's the only place we're permitted to actually use them. I want to bring in uh, Rod Giltaka. Um, 
So, Stephen, if you can hit the uh, the button for uh, uh, Rod's mic, Rod, you're the uh, you're the CEO of CCRF um, or CCFR. Sorry, uh, got got the initials uh, mixed up a little bit there. The CC part's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys are in town and you're meeting with a lot of politicians. Do you get the sense that they actually understand your concerns or that they even understand what is there now in terms of gun legislation? Because when I talk to people that are opposed, one guy yesterday, well, these rifles shouldn't be allowed to have any more than five rounds in them. I said, well, actually, that's the law. Do you get the sense that the politicians understand the laws that they're talking to you about? In most, in most cases, they don't understand the laws at all. And they know that the general population don't understand firearm regulations. A lot of gun owners don't understand firearm regulations uh, to the point that they should. And that's, that's, where, that's where the environment gets created, where you can get away with tabling legislation that doesn't do anything, doesn't impact the, the lives of, of criminals at all, only impacts the lives of licensed gun owners, and somehow it's viewed as, as, as a benefit to public safety. When the, uh, this is direct quote from the, the liberal election platform. We will take action to get handguns and assault weapons off our streets. You live outside Vancouver. They always seem to go to Surrey to make these announcements. There's a lot of gun violence there. You'd probably be okay with getting handguns and assault weapons off our streets. You may disagree with some of their terminology, but nobody wants them on our streets. Well, who does? We, everybody <laughs> Nobody wants to see criminals shooting each other up and, you know, when, when people's families are on their way to the mall. Like, that, that's never been the question. You know, the— uh, And that the, has nothing to do with you or Tracy going to the range. The role that licensed gun owners have always played in this equation is that we comply 100 percent with the regulations and the laws no matter how ridiculous. And for some reason, every time there's a, a change made, well, we need to say for Canada— they, they, they come right at us. They're like, here's what you need to sacrifice. Here's what you need to put up with. Here's the risk that you need to run for you know, paperwork or administrative errors and you know, flying the flag of public safety. And, and it's just uh, – it's very easy to do that when the, when the everyday Canadian has no idea what the regulations are right now. That's the real problem. The, I, I was checking out the stats on murders in Canada because that's what most people think of when they think of – you know, in terms of gun violence, somebody will be shot and killed. Well, 611 murders, 36% of them were with firearms, so that's 223. 58% were with handguns, which is mostly a gang weapon. 54% of all firearms-related murders in 2016, according to StatsCan, gang-related. So this is, right. this is primarily a gang problem, isn't it, Tracy? Absolutely. We, uh, we have a, a gang problem here in Canada. And in fact, in the last couple of years since the Liberals have been in power, it's getting increasingly worse. Now, I'm not blaming it on them. Uh, but I, the point I actually is, think is that, it has to do with the fentanyl crisis. Well, more I likely. think all these, uh, you know, there's so many people that are involved in selling fentanyl. It's highly lucrative. Um, a, a small container that you can smuggle into the country can make you huge amounts of money. So you're going to do what you have to do to protect that. Uh, right. you, you see the opioid crisis and the rise in gunplay on our streets. You can chart them together and, and, and they follow each other. Absolutely. Yeah. So, 
I, I just wish they'd focus on that. So you guys are uh, you're going to be talking to politicians throughout the the week here. I I, I understand there was a a big article about all your meetings, so I, I can look up your itinerary and know where you're going to be. <laughs> well, dates and times aren't marked down, but it seems as though uh, uh, our our list of guests that we'll be meeting this week, most of them, anyways, are in there. Um, we've uh, got three days of lobbying activity on the Hill coming up, um, starting bright and early tomorrow morning, going into the late evening tomorrow. And um, throughout the week, we've got uh, a briefing with the minister tomorrow as well. And, uh, yeah, we're going to do our best well, to represent the interests of gun owners. I, I hope that the, the legislation isn't just what they've leaked out so far because there is a problem with the gangs. As mentioned, 20 shootings. If you're not far from Surrey, Roger, probably thinking only 20, but uh, it's too many in our community, and we need something to deal with that, not you two going to the range. Exactly. All right. Thanks for the time. Uh, Tracy Wilson, Rod uh, Giltaka, they are with the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Brian Lilly. Don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Yeah, I just want to give you a, a few more stats here. From this uh, the, this piece that I put up at brianlilly.com on the weekend, these are from Statistics Canada. And I think these are important because you hear people say, well, there's no need for anyone in Canada to have an AR-15, and they don't need assault uh, rifles, and which is a made-up term. And we've got to do all these things. These are political and emotional issues, not based on stats. Darren Reed, I quote him in the piece, he's the owner of Saskatoon Gunworks, said, the majority of gun regulations are not for actual public safety, they're for the appearance of public safety. Well, again, 611 murders, 223 of which were with firearms, 54% of those were firearm-related homicides related to gang activity, so the rise in murders with firearms over the last several years has been directly related to gang activity. So when you get the windy kookiers of the world coming out with their kookier than before ideas on how to fix gun control, it's based on faulty stats. Her gun control measures, such as keeping records in stores, would not actually improve public safety. I kept asking people yesterday, how will a store keeping records, which most of them already do, but so why do you have to legislate it? How is it going to improve public safety? It's going to improve, well, enhance bureaucracy, but that's it. How will it improve public safety? Well, it'll make people feel better. That's essentially what it came down to. That doesn't stop the drug dealers in the streets of Ottawa from buying illegal guns, which is easier to do than buying a a legal one. It doesn't stop them from shooting each other up. That's what people want fixed. They want the drug dealers to stop shooting each other or through the windows of the neighbors of the guys they're trying to hit, which happened over in the East End just a little while ago. Uh, When we come back, Joe Varner, he used to work for Peter McKay when McKay was the Minister of National Defense. We'll ask him about this posting to Mali that we've got details but no details on. 
I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. that they have the appropriate equipment, that they have the, uh, 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 the appropriate training, uh, and more importantly, they have the proper rules of engagement and the mandate to be able to make sure that they, they can protect themselves. Defense Minister Harjit Sejan talking about what they're billing as a smart pledge in support of a United Nations peace force in Mali. Interesting language that they're using here. They're calling it a Smart pledge, and they use that term over and over and over again in their announcement today, that we will be sending a Chinook heli- or Chinook helicopters and Griffin helicopters into the area. Canada's contribution will join uh, part 57 partner countries in their continued efforts to bring sustainable peace and stability to Mali. Today's announcement builds on the government's significant development, peace, and security initiatives in the region. But what are we actually doing? How many folks are we sending? Well, we're going to send a quick reaction force and accompanying equipment. How many people? Don't know. An aviation task force of medium utility and armed helicopters. All right. How many people? Don't know. A tactical airlift support to address critical gaps in the UN's ability to transport troops, equipment, and supplies to their missions. So how many how many troops? Uh, we don't know. Which led conservative defense critic James Bazan to say he's worried that they're not actually ready for what is the deadliest mission in the U.N. peacekeeping portfolio at the moment. Mali is a war zone. This is a combat mission. And there is no peace to keep. Joining me on the line now is Joe Varner. He is a former senior advisor to uh, Peter McKay when he was Minister of Defense. Uh, Joe, I'm sure that in your time you worked on all kinds of files that dealt with where troops were being deployed, the risk uh, um, factor involved in them, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. What, What do you make of this pledge, this smart pledge to Mali, which is an area that most people couldn't pick on a map. Yeah, well, it, we'll see how smart it is over uh, over time. I've never heard of a smart pledge before in terms of UN operations, but uh, we'll we'll see how that works out for the government. Um, I think it came on the heels of uh, the uh, report that Canada was at its lowest end in UN peacekeeping. It was a promise that the government made when when it was. Uh, election in 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 the election in the last uh, federal election they, do, do they you think they actually the made the announcement today because of the story last week by uh cbc saying hey you've um the the liberals have brought us to the lowest level of peacekeeping ever yeah this government is is uh largely about its own self-image and its ideology and its view of itself and uh, i don't think there's any doubt that they reacted very quickly to that now i mean in Ottawa, for months, it's been 
going around that that uh, they were you know thrashing about different operations that they could do. Uh, they didn't have any money. They kind of earmarked people to go, uh, but everything was loosey goosey until that report. They've actually been talking about Mali almost since they before they took power as a possibility. And they would look at it, and then they withdraw. They were worried about the potential for casualties because they know what the number of casualties did to support for the Afghan mission when we were there fighting the Taliban. Yeah, so Mali is a war zone. Uh, it's a country, it's a quagmire. It's a country that's divided between north and south. All the money, all the power, and all the people are in the south and in the north. You've got a pro-government faction of uh, Tuareg uh, nationalists, and you have a have an anti-government faction of Tuareg nationalists. You have uh, Al Qaeda uh, in the Islamic Maghreb, who's who's kind of the bigger player there. And then you've got uh, two other Islamic terrorist groups, uh, any number of uh, human weapons traders, narcotic traders, uh, moving back and forth, and, and gun runners kind of moving back and forth in that area. It's the crossover point between Boko Haram uh, uh, in in uh, the far uh, far west of uh, Africa and, and uh, Al Shabab in in Somalia. So it's it's a strategic piece of uh, ground. Uh, attacks there have increased. I think uh, 200 last year, which is more than the previous two years. Uh, not a very safe place. It's the most dangerous UN mission on the go. It's not a peacekeeping mission. Uh, they've lost 162 peacekeepers there. The the last time that I think um, most of us heard uh, of Mali, it, is that where the gas plant was, was taken or was that Algeria? Uh, I think the last big attack was the attack on the hotel in Bamako, the one that sits in my mind. Uh, but, I mean, this is an area that that was constantly, as you say, there are different factions that are fighting the crossover between al-Qaeda and Boko Haram, that this is, who, who are we keeping the peace between here? There is no peace. Well, there is no peace in, in uh, the north and the central part of the country. The, the, uh, it's, it's a war zone. Uh, the country itself is a quagmire. Um, and in terms of, you know, frontline troops, the closest they had to frontline peacekeeping troops there outside of the French are the, the Germans who are, are leaving, probably for a good reason. And, and now it seems that Canada's going to backfill for, for some of the German, uh, capabilities that were there. <clears throat> the key thing will be to see what our rules of engagement are and to find out whether or not any of this involves any special forces activity. I, special forces have been there in the past to do sort of uh, capacity building. I remember interviewing retired Major General Lewis McKenzie, uh, and I'd love to get his thoughts on this. So, hey, Lou, if you're listening, um, he, you know, describing the difference between a NATO mission and a UN mission, and he said really came down to rules of engagement and that too often the UN was worried about deadly force being used, and, and quite frankly, he said, that put our troops at risk. We don't know what the rules of engagement are, but we've committed. We don't know how many people we've committed, but we're committed. We don't know a whole lot of anything. I was surprised, given that 
they've teased about these sorts of things before, Joe. Uh, speaking with Joe Varner, a, f- a former special assistant, senior advisor to uh, Defense Minister Peter McKay when he was in charge of defense. Uh, Joe, I was surprised at how few details there were, given how long they've been talking about it. I don't recall a, a, an announcement like this in the past. Do you? Uh, no, but I, I think, I mean, with, with this government, the government has invested billions of dollars uh, in trying to get a, a non-permanent seat on the UN Security Council in 2020, and they've got this political commitment to peacekeeping hanging over their head. And this is this is their way of saying, yeah, Canada's back, and and uh, you know, please pick us for the UN Security Council. And oh, by the way, we've knocked off a peacekeeping commitment. Well, it's not a peacekeeping commitment. It's a UN commitment, but it's certainly not a peacekeeping commitment. And this is a Chapter Seven mission that has very robust rules of engagement. What I'm curious about is what Canada's rules of engagement are going to be. Are we going to be ferrying troops back and forth? Are we going to be ferrying supplies to the front? Are we going to be doing medical evac? Uh, are we going to be doing any sort of training or force protection? You know, uh, I would assume there's force protection around the helicopters. But Well, a, a quick reaction force and accompanying equipment, to me, that sounds like we'll be doing some frontline work with that. Tactical airlift, obviously we're transporting troops and equipment into areas they need to be. But the aviation task force, I'm told that the Griffin helicopters are, the Chinooks are less an attack helicopter than the Griffins, and the Griffins are are nimble and deadly. So to me, that says that if we're not going on the front lines, we're providing cover fire for people on the front lines. Yeah, the Chinooks are transport uh, helicopters, but they're 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 armed. Uh, the Griffins are are armed uh, and uh, are light lighter helicopters, and they're armed, um, and and they can be quite deadly, as we saw in Afghanistan. Um, I don't think there's any question that they're going to be, you know, probably engaged from the ground uh, when they actually get up there and they start moving people back and forth. So, I mean, there are risks to this mission as there are at all missions, but like I said, this is the deadliest UN mission on the go right now. Is it the mission they should have taken or should we have been looking elsewhere? I mean... It... This idea that our, our troops are not engaged in the world, well, as I was saying earlier, we've got troops in Ukraine, we've got troops in Latvia, we've got um, uh, troops stationed in, in many, uh, well, in the um, the fight against ISIS. It's not as if we're not engaged internationally, it's just not through the UN. Is this the best use of our military? In my view, no. Uh but I'm I'm not calling those shots. I mean, if I was going to be using our military, I'd be using it in in uh, Iraq and Syria, and I'd be using it in in uh, NATO, and I'd be putting my eggs in those baskets right now, and, and NORAD, and I'd be looking at what my contribution would be to any sort of action in the Pacific. From my perspective, this is a low uh, point of national interest in in Mali, and. Uh, you know, it may be a high point for French national interest, but it's certainly not one for Canada. This is driven by the government's, you know, narrative that Canada is back, uh, its uh, ideology, and it's, you know, be perfectly honest, it's got a pretty provincial view of uh, international foreign affairs. I mean, we're nowhere on the trade file. Uh, every trade uh, item they've they've touched is uh, has. Uh, turned sour on them. Uh, diplomacy is certainly not their strong point, unless you're Mr. Dress-Up and 
when you get into things in terms of of uh, the military strategic, it's pretty clear that they don't understand it. Well, it's uh, it's going to be um, a dangerous mission. Let's hope that our men and women in uniform stay safe. Uh, Joe, Absolutely. thanks for the time. All right. Cheers. Joe Varner joining us tonight. What do you think? Drop me a line beyond the news at CFRA.com. Uh, when we come back, a little bit more on Kathleen Wynne and her throne speech. What's in it? What's not? How's she trying to buy your votes? We'll get into all of that. Listen to V-Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You know, if you don't vote, then somebody who looks like me is going to vote. Some senior person older than me some white person, you know, the reality is that that's the demographic that's going to get out and vote. Kathleen Wynne warning young students at Humber College, if you don't get out and vote, old white people will. Well, do you know what she's doing for the promotion of her throne speech tomorrow? She's going to the Leeside Curling Club, which is going to be what, mostly seniors? Because she's going in the middle of the day when most people work. And it's to promote elements in her throne speech for people over 60. So Friday, she tells young people, vote or those old white folk will. You know, if you don't vote, then somebody who looks like me is going to vote. Some senior person older than me, some white person. You know, the reality is that that's the demographic that's going to get out and vote. And tomorrow, what? She's going to the curling club to talk about seniors issues to say if if you old folks don't go out and vote those young people will i don't really understand kathleen Wynn, other than she is desperate and that's what those statements on friday told me she is absolutely desperate also showing how desperate she is is what was in the throne speech that lieutenant governor Elizabeth Dodswell had to read out today. Your government will make significant investments in the operation of our hospitals. This will reduce the wait times people experience when they need care. There will be major investments in home care to provide more services for people aging at home and provide financial relief for families caring for aging loved ones. An awful lot of promises in there for a government on its last legs, a government that if they could face a confidence vote would not last until June 7th. I want to read to you from the Toronto Red Star, though, because this is how Canada's largest newspaper by circulation is selling it. Care versus cuts. That's the message Premier Kathleen Wynne's Liberals will take to voters as the governing party tries to contrast itself against Doug Ford's surging progressive conservatives. In a speech from the throne Monday, Wynne outlined the Liberal government's agenda heading up to the June 7th election, promising new spending on health care, home care, dental care, pharmacare, 
and childcare. With the vote 80 days away and public opinion polls suggesting the 14-and-a-half-year-old administration may uh, be on its last legs, the Premier promised to expand the new OHIP Plus prescription drug program to include other parts of the population. That means if the Liberals are re-elected, the free medications now limited to those 24 years and under would be available to many more Ontarians. They're promising more mental health coverage. They are promising more addictions coverage. They're promising to fix all the problems that they have been standing and watching grow for years. NDP leader Andrea Horvath. For 15 years, Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals have had a chance to uh, make these changes. They've chosen not to do so. They've chosen instead uh, to destroy our hospitals. They've chosen instead uh, to get rid of our, our pro- uh, public hydro system and make it private. These are not good for Ontario. Had they wanted to do anything that they're now going to promise, they had plenty of time to do it. That's the big difference. I disagree with Andrea Horvath on policy, but I agree with that last statement. They had 15 years. If they wanted to do any of this, they could have done it by now. Instead, 80 days before a vote, they find religion. It's a bit like the guy who commits murder after murder and then is on death row. Finds God. That's Kathleen Wynne and the liberals at the moment. They found God. They're having a come to Jesus moment. But I'm doubting the sincerity of it, just like I doubt the sincerity of the guy on death row. Is it real? Mm, I got my doubts. I know that what is real about Kathleen Wynne is her desire to hang on to power. Why else would she go and make comments like this? You know, if you don't vote, then somebody who looks like me is going to vote. Some senior person older than me. Some white person. You know, the reality is that that's the demographic that's going to get out and vote. That's the demographic that's going to get out and vote. You better vote for me or old white people will decide this election. I'm not sure that that's something that I want to buy. I'm not sure it's something that most people... the, The outrage over those comments, the absolute outrage, was not shocking to anybody except liberals who are now trying to spin it as, well, she was just stating the truth. And why are you being divisive? That's what I'm getting in pushback from the liberals. You're the one fear-mongering. No? No, that would be the premier. And where's the media outrage on that, by the way? Where's the media outrage over Kathleen Wynne dividing people by race and age and saying, time to vote? By the way, just after that, she made a pitch to get them to vote for her. All while she's premier. It wasn't a campaign stop, folks. It was not a campaign stop at all. She's leading a desperate government that is promising you everything but free car maintenance and ponies in exchange for your vote. Everything will be a universal program if you only vote for Kathleen Wynne. And if you vote for anybody else, your life will be ruined. That's the message. Care versus cuts. As the Toronto Red Stars said, 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Getting some great response, some funny response online to uh, the discussions we've been having on air. Rob writing about Kathleen Wynne and her comments about old white people voting. If young people don't, you know, they'll decide the election if you don't. Rob uh, writes, an old white person read her throne speech, so we can't believe a word of it. Uh, I got a a, a photo sent to me of uh, Justin Trudeau meeting, getting dressed to meet a homeless person. And obviously someone just photoshopped Justin Trudeau's face into this guy wearing a box, a box with his arms going through and his feet sticking out the bottom and a hole for his face. Uh, But, you know, when they're mocking you constantly, then that's a problem. The other one that I got sent, if you've ever worked in... Doesn't have to be a factory setting. This is mainly where I've seen them, but I remember visiting a friend that was uh, uh, a shipper receiver for a retail outlet here in town, and they got those signs up about you know number of days since last injury, and they always want it to be zero, right? So it shows Justin Trudeau his jacket, his suit jacket slung over his shoulder. He's smiling. His sleeves are rolled up, of course. Says Justin Trudeau, days since last vacation. Zero, 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 zero. And then down at the bottom, committed to zero. He was back at work today. I got to say that. I did ask that question last night online. Will Justin Trudeau actually show up to work? You know, he he got back from India, an eight-day vacation in India. What did he do? He took two nap days. He took the Sunday and the Monday off. He needed nap time. Sure, the MPs that were on the trip with him, they were back on the uh, they were back on the job on Monday. But he needed a nap day. Then he worked for nine days doing things like sitting around talking with Bill Nye the science guy. Talking with people that wanted to give him awards like Equal Voice for being such a good feminist. He went and collected checks in Regina. And then he was off on vacation. He was off for March break. According to the Belgian journalist that Bill Carroll interviewed on The Morning Rush, Trudeau was actually in Florida for Saturday and Sunday at the start of March break, flew back, did his three-day tour of liberal ridings that have aluminum or steel plants in them, and then flew back down to Florida on Wednesday night. Just got back in late last night. I actually asked his office, is he in Fort Lauderdale? That's what I'd heard. Is he on a yacht? Because that rumor was going around. The Americans don't have to ask where the president is. They know. They're told. There's transparency. Now when Justin Trudeau goes away, there's all kinds of crazy rumors because he tweeted out that there's no better place to be than Ottawa for New Year's Eve to kick off Canada 150 when he'd been on the Aga Khan's private island for days already. Leaving David Aiken to call them and say, hey, 
where is the PM? He says there's nowhere better to be, but we didn't see him around Ottawa for Canada 150 kickoff. Uh, he's having private time. Yeah, but where? He's having private time, but where? All they would tell me was he was in Florida. Like, you can't tell me Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Miami, Orlando. No, he's in Florida. All right, how's that for transparency? But asking, is he showing up to work? That's a valid question. He did. He gave a speech at the Shadow Laurier. He was a question period. He was in his office. He's back at it tomorrow. In fact, tomorrow, 10 a.m., is when they bring in that gun control legislation. That's what Charles is calling in about. Charles, you're on Beyond the News. Hello, Charles? This is Charles. Hi, Charles. um, Stiffening up the gun laws isn't going to, is not going to stop the criminals from getting guns because they live under the radar. They buy under the radar. Like I'm a licensed gun owner. I can own restricted, unrestricted. Uh, that means handgun, anything that's legal in Canada, I can own. And, and you had to go uh, through a safety course and umpteen background checks yes, for that, right? Like when, when I bought a handgun, I'd have to go to the store, buy the handgun, take the receipt to a police station, just the receipt, and they would register the receipt. I had to go back to the store, bring the handgun to the police station with the receipt, and they had to match the serial numbers, the gun, everything to the receipt. Then they gave me a permit to take it from the police station to take it to my home. And, you know, it's... I I don't think the guys that you know, have been shooting up various parts of the city. I don't think they do that, Charles. Uh, Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, they they live under the radar. They buy under the radar, you know? Um, And it's... (laughs) uh, So why are... You know, it's more enforcing the law. Like, when, when somebody gets arrested for these crimes, let's punish them a little harder rather than just let them out on a, you know, okay, well, uh, yeah, come back in two months for your trial, and then they just disappear. (laughs) Yeah. And they're never seen again. They never even go back for their trial. Uh, Yeah, I was speaking with Chief Bordalo a little while ago, and he was expressing his frustration that they did a big illegal gun bust, mm -hmm. a a gun-selling ring. So we're not talking about folks going to sale or Cabela's. These are yeah. people selling guns on the street. They're not going to, well, I would say LeBaron's, but they're gone. But uh, Sport Action out on uh, Riverside, they're not going to any of the legal gun shops. They're selling guns to each other out of their homes and on the streets. And yeah. they busted them. And he said they were all out within within days. Well, yeah, exactly. Like almost any criminal is in and out of the court. They're They're released. And so many of them, they just disappear into the system and they're never found again. They never end up paying any consequence. It's un- like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> all right. You know, and, uh, it's like, uh, all my, all like my, my handguns, my rifles, they're all in a safe. And not only are they in a safe, but every one of the guns, they all have trigger locks. Then I've got a separate safe in another location 
where my ammunition is, you know, like, because, you know, you know, you, you don't store the ammunition in the same place as you store your rifle uh, as your weapons. And, and uh, so uh, you, but, you obviously need more regulations on you to stop the yeah, drug because, dealers from shooting each other. Yeah, you know, I, I don't do anything wrong. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a working person. I'm a taxpayer, but I have to be the guilty person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's hope, let's hope that I know Minister Goodale's office was listening to my interview with, uh, with Tracy and Rod. Uh, mm-hmm. It's too late to change the legislation, but let's hope that it, it, it hits the mark and it yeah. isn't all the things that they've been promoting because what they've been promoting will not help public safety. And, and and all of us, uh, Charles, I think you'd agree. We all want the the gangbangers to stop. The the only thing that'll actually change it is um, criminal enforcement. You know, like you're a criminal, we're going to penalize you. We're going to put you away. We're going to do whatever. <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're you know, uh, well, you know, if you're caught committing a crime, we're going to take your property, we're going to take your car, we're going to, whatever, you know? <laughs> like, I, I, I understand. Let's, I, let's, I got to run for a commercial. Got to run for a commercial break, Charles, but thanks for the call. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. The new legislation comes out tomorrow. We'll talk about it then again, but if you want to talk about it now, of course we can. And what are your thoughts on Kathleen Wynne's comments about old white people? You young folks better vote or the old white folks will take this election. 521-TALK. Call now. Remember, he's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison and time keeps dragging on. I think what's really important for people to understand is that Cambridge Analytica uh, was birthed out of a company called SEL Group, which is a military contractor based in London. It, uh, th- this, this data uh, was used to create uh, profiling algorithms that would allow us to explore mental vulnerabilities of people. That's Chris Wiley, who used to work for the federal liberals, and he's the Canadian that is behind uh, this latest outrage. Um, Cambridge Analytica is a company out of the UK that apparently data mined Facebook profiles and worked with uh, the Trump campaign. What's funny about this is that I remember reading the story about Cambridge Analytica and what they were doing for Ted Cruz's campaign in December 2015. The New York Times has rehashed the story, this time adding in some of what Christopher Wiley is saying because he has upspeak. Upspeak drives me nuts. Makes it sound like you're unsure of everything. So they rehashed the story from 2015 for 2018 to denounce Donald Trump. But if you look back in 2008 and 2012, when Obama was doing these things, not with Cambridge Analytica, but data mining 
and micro-targeting and going after you based on your interests, your likes, your demographics through Facebook. And by building back in 2008 his own social networks around uh, groups, around issues, around neighborhoods with something called Ning. Well, that was all brilliant. When Obama did the same sort of thing, it was brilliant. When Donald Trump does it, it is evil. Evil. By the way, you know what they're not talking about? The Canadian media are obsessed with Donald Trump in Cambridge Analytica. What they're not talking about is the fact that Lead Now, a foreign-funded lobby group with money from the Tides Foundation, based off of a group started by George Soros called Avas, is running an anti-Ford Doug, uh, an anti-Doug Ford campaign. They used foreign money to influence the last federal election, and now they're trying to do the same thing in the provincial election. And nobody's saying a thing. Chris in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hello, Chris. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. You're calling in about Wynn's comments? Yeah, I am. I mean, All those old white people bothering you? Yeah, yeah to be honest, they're not. And I mean, I am a young person. I, I don't know. I, I think <laughs> I'd rather benefit from somebody who has years of experience behind them than somebody who's walking in with absolutely no experience. Shout out to Trudeau. He doesn't really have a whole lot, and it kind of shows him what he's doing with the country. Yeah, which is a little sad because he is a middle-aged man. So we should have experience doing something at this point. I'm an old hand at radio because I have experience doing it. We're the same age. Uh, but I had a career other than being a public speaker and motivational speaker. Nothing wrong with that. I actually think he does a great job at those going out to the We Day events. But it doesn't train you to run a country, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, I guess what got me a little bit confused there is even though Trudeau, he is a middle-aged man, he just he doesn't act like it. I'm not... I'm looking for somebody a little bit more experienced to get stuff done, tax us a little less, embarrass us a little less with India, that kind of thing. Uh, well, oh, last week on Facebook, I put forward my campaign pledge. I said, I'm thinking about this as a campaign uh, platform. I'll run for prime minister on one promise. I'll vacation just as much and embarrass you a lot less. <laughs> and I asked people, would you vote for me with that? And an awful lot of people said, yeah, they would. They'd like that. And I'd get a lot of vacations out of it, Chris. So, uh, you know, it's win-win. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think w- going back to Wynn's comments, I think they made a lot out of desperation. I think, honestly, she's probably recognized in the back of her mind that she's going to lose the election and so needs to take pot shots at people. And it's ironic because the pot shots that she's making are are at herself, well, in her own age demographic. And I mean, she, with all the mistakes that she's made, I don't know, it just seems kind of like a bogus comment. And I hope that people in my generation see it for what it is and don't well, get what, robbed up. What'd you make of the poll that said uh, the liberals have lost a lot of ground with people 18 to 34? I hope so. I hope that um, people in my age demographic uh, have recognized the damage that she's done with Ontario Hydro and tax rates and things like that. And not only that, but I mean, all of the young people who were impacted by her waiting five weeks to respond to the uh, the college um, the college strike. I mean, that was five weeks of tuition lost. I know a lot of people that were uh, actually that were going to Algonquin College and other colleges, and they never got 
refunded for that, even though um, Kathleen Wynn said that she had a system in place to get reimbursed. They weren't reimbursed properly. Um, the quality of their education suffered. The list goes on, right? Like she's done a lot of damage, and so. No, but takes- but don't don't worry, Chris. That's in the past, and and going forward, she's going to take care of your home care, your prescription drugs, your dental care. Um, your yeah, but she's going to tax us through the roof for it if she doesn't. I don't think she will. Which just means more deficit spending. Well, yeah, well, I mean, but she course. she learned economics from Justin, and the budget will balance itself. The budget's not going to balance itself. <laughs> We're going to balance it for her, and so are our kids and our grandkids. And I really hope the people that are between the ages of thirteen and eighty, or between the ages of eighteen and thirty-four, recognize that. All right. Thanks for the call, Chris. All right. Thanks. I I used to. Um, Listen to folks say, oh, this is going on the backs of my grandkids and think, wow, that's, that's a lot older than I am. I mean, yeah, my kids are going to pay for this deficit. Well, now I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to think my kids will be having children before the federal liberals balance the books. If Kathleen Wynne follows through on my kids will have kids that are working before the federal liberals balance the books. And if Kathleen Wynne gets in, the same with the provincial government. But don't worry, sunshine, lollipops, a unicorn, puppy for everyone. That's kind of what the throne speech was all about. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Are you hearing about the problem of lead now in this foreign-funded lobby group anywhere else? They're running. I I know you've heard it from me when it comes to federal politics. Well, now they're involved in Ontario provincial politics. They claim that they they did a huge uh, impact on the provincial election in B.C. But where else are you hearing about this? Why? Why is our media obsessed with... Cambridge Analytica, and they're not talking about Lead Now, this foreign-funded group. They got established. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk to Vivian Krauss, who's done a ton of research. I rely on Vivian's research. I cite Vivian's research in detailing this. So make sure you listen in tomorrow. I think we're going to aim for around 8 o'clock with Vivian, uh, but still trying to confirm the time right now. The uh, the simple fact is, this is a group that was set up with Tides Foundation money out of San Francisco. Not Tides Canada, San Francisco. And they brag about helping defeat Stephen Harper. They're taking on Doug Ford now. Isn't that a problem? Shouldn't our media care about this? Shouldn't they do stories on it? Are there rules and regulations against this? You're not hearing about it. You will find it at brianlilly.com. 
A good story in the Globe and Mail today. Shout out to Bob Fife and Steve Chase. Former top Canadian security officials warn Ottawa to sever Tink's links with China's Huawei. Now, this is important because you've heard there's going to be a 5G corridor. If you've got a, a cell phone, you're likely on a 4G network or an LTE network. When you're in bad coverage, it's 3G. Well, now they want to have a 5G network. The federal, the Ontario and Quebec governments will each invest $67 million into a project, an additional $200 million coming from the private sector. My, my problem with this is, is it going to come from Huawei? Because Huawei is a Chinese company. Well, thankfully, uh, there's going to be five private sector partners, Ericsson, Sienna Canada, Talus Canada, IBM Canada, and CGI. Because, and the reason I ask is that the, uh, the folks at Huawei, which is a major Chinese company, if you watch Hockey Night in Canada, their name's all over the place, they're a Chinese company that the Americans have said you can't do business with. You can't do business with them because they're too dodgy. They're a security risk, and they want to be involved in setting up our new infrastructure. They want to be involved in supplying the Canadian government with technology. Stephen Harper was not strong enough on this. He was questioned about it, not strongly enough, by the liberals who always want to suck up to the regime in Beijing. But while Stephen Harper was strong on a lot of things with China, he wasn't strong enough on this. Well, now you've got uh, Ward Alcock, former head of CSIS, John Adams, used to head up the Communications and Security Establishment, and Richard Fadden, who was both the head of CSIS, Deputy Minister of National Defense, and the National Security Advisor to Justin Trudeau and Stephen Harper, all of them saying, you can't let these guys in. It can't happen. The Americans have blocked them. We should be doing it as well. Unfortunately, Justin Trudeau is I, – I, I'm not saying there's anything untoward in his obsession with China. There's just a strange thing with people out of Montreal and China. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Dave, you're on Beyond the News. Yes, thanks, Brian. Yeah, I heard about the Huawei thing uh, quite some time ago, actually. Uh, and again, concerning the, the concerns the United States has – well, so they, they, make, uh, they make all kinds of equipment, and if you talk to the experts, they'll say they, they build back doors into them. Yeah, it's embedded with all kinds of stuff. There. So that they can access the back door and get your data, your information. We're all worried about Cambridge Analytica mining Facebook. How about Beijing mining every part of the Canadian government? I don't want Huawei operating my refrigerator. <laughs> but listen, let's get serious. Uh, Kathleen Wynne. Yep. Uh, First of all, I, I'll just say how disgusted I am with her with her comments, her racist comments, her reverse racist, and then everything else. But no, that, they're racist, just plain racist. That's that's been taken on seven ways to Sunday all day. But another thing that was talked about, uh, but you know, you know, bit. outside of hold on, Dave, outside of CFRA and a station that's not related to this uh, company in Toronto, or at least one radio host, an old friend of mine, Alex Pearson. Outside of that, where are you hearing about this? Well, not many other places, because I get my news from Sierra Ferry. I know the source. But nobody else is talking about it. Why isn't it on uh, the front page of the newspapers? Why isn't it on the TV uh, newscast? It's, it, I mean, people are ignoring it. 
And the same way they're ignoring the, 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 the Tides Foundation and, and Lead Now and stuff. The very, just the very same thing, and it's, it's the same disease that's all over. But I wanted to get to the second part of the stuff that I was listening to today on the radio, and that's to lowering the voting age. Some people say as, as, as young as 16. Uh, Evan Solomon thinks it's a great idea. Young people should be engaged. I'm sorry, but I think 16 is way too young. I know you've got kids approaching that age or around that age. Uh, I've got smack dab in the middle, uh, about to turn 18, two turn 14, and one's 15. I don't want any of them voting. Well, 18 will be, but... uh, Well, when he turns 18, so uh, he'll be uh, eligible to vote in the provincial election. He'll be 18. He's he's starting to work. He's, you know, he's politics obsessed. He is different. But at 16, are you paying taxes? Do you you have a clue what anything's about? And you'll fall for any old story, any old line. We'll we'll give you this, we'll give you that. We'll make marijuana illegal. We'll do that. We'll we'll free up the world for you. Uh, Come on, bring it on. Bring it on. That's the way they're going to be thinking. And what I'm saying to you is, Brian, that it's it's not about enfranchising younger people. What they're doing is shifting the voting demographic because in doing so, it will shift the balance of power in their favor. And that's the only reason they're doing it. It's, why the, it's why the NDP has always favored it, uh, is because they know that young people are more, most lo- more likely to vote socialist. Got time for a little joke? Sure. Uh, yeah, okay. So Yasha Nakve is driving through Toronto, and he comes through a neighborhood, and he sees little girl selling brand-new kittens. You probably heard it before. And so he stops and... and <laughs> hey, I, I, I haven't heard this. Okay, I'm worried so, where it's going. No, it's, it's safe. It's safe. So he stops and talks to her, you know, engaging with young people and all that they're supposed to do, engaging with the people. And she explains that these kittens are just born, and she has too many. She's selling some of them. But these are liberal kittens, and so you really should have one. And Yasha Nakvi is saying, oh, well, that's just wonderful, little girl. Thank you for telling me all about that. So a few days later, he's talking to the premier, Kathleen Wynne, and says, I was just talking to this little girl a few days ago, and uh, she's, she's selling kittens on the street corner, and maybe tomorrow the next day, if we've got some time, we'll go by and see her. She says, they're liberal kittens. So Kathleen says, okay, we'll go there to tomorrow. So they go and they look for her, and sure enough, they find her there, and Yasha comes up and says, I brought my friend Mrs. Wynne with me. And she wants to hear, see, see your liberal kittens. Oh, no, she says, they're not liberal kittens. No, huh? And Yasha yeah, Nafi said, but you told me last week that they were. Yes, she said, but their eyes are open now. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dave. <laughs> Take care. It is true. Uh, let's go to Gloria. Gloria, uh, your thoughts on old white people stealing the election? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, uh, in yeah. fairness, she didn't say stealing, but... To me, that was the implication. Well, of course. I mean, to me, she's resorted to running a campaign of fear. And and her campaign, I think now it's a political attack specifically aimed on what she calls old elderly white people. I mean, she's, she's pushing discrimination, ageism, and racism against white people because she's so desperate. You know, and, and uh, you know, it's if you follow what goes on in the schools, mm-hmm. then you know that the kids are taught that old white people are bad, dead white <laughs> presidents. You don't want to read books by old white men, so that's imbued within them and has been for years. And so, her saying that it's you know, it's like a, it's a trigger to use a, a term the kids love. It's total discrimination. That's all it is. I mean, uh. 
and yet on the on in the next breath they're they're talking about inclusiveness. You know what I mean? I mean they they talk about one thing and then contradict themselves and and this totally totally left wing media ignores the whole thing and it's getting uh, worse by She with them. is out at the Leeside Curling Club tomorrow mm-hmm. to talk about seniors issues. Oh, is she? All of a sudden, she yeah. saw the light at, Pe- when she's pe- had over 10 years to do something For people about it. 60 and over, that's what she's talking about. Well, I could be classed as an old white person, too, but, uh, you know, so she, so I'm, I guess I'm inclu- included in, in this uh, direct discrimination. Yeah, well, you weren't on, you weren't on uh, Friday, but you're good tomorrow. There you go, yeah. Do, do you want, do you want Kathleen Wynne looking after your dentist your uh, prescription drugs um your car washes because uh, i think there's i think there was mention of a universal car wash program in there do you want her looking after all of that well the thing is this you know she she's just well she'll promise you anything she's so desperate because she's at the bottom of the polls and that's where she belongs and she'll <laughs> say anything or do anything to stay in power it's only got to do with power and, uh, you know, this thing about all of a sudden seeing, again, seeing the light that she hasn't seen in the last 10 years about hospitals. You know, uh, she has money all of a sudden for, for health care now. And she, the thing is, she's f- frozen hospital funds for the last four years. She's cut doctors' pay. And, and we now have got, you know, what we call a hallway health care in, in hospitals. I mean, she is a walking disaster and and uh, it annoys me what what you had said about this lead now that's involved in in Ontario po- politics that that's funding from overseas, of course by Soros. Who else? Eh? A good buddy of uh, of uh, Trudeau's, and and uh, this Ford. For premier, that's all I can say of Ontario, and I just hope that people will ignore th- this uh, uh, attack on him, and and when they're going to be uh, running a, an anti-Ford campaign, all right. where who's funding it and who's behind the whole thing. Well, that's what we're here for, and uh, we'll have Vivian Krauss on tomorrow. Yeah. She has all the details. Make sure you listen to that. Share Good the topic, audio Brian. when I put it out. And and yeah. share the piece that I've got at BrianLilly.com. Push it uh, out there. Let people absolutely, know. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you for that. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Okay. Make sure that you listen in tomorrow. I'm going to try and get her for 8 o'clock. I'll let you know the time on social media tomorrow. 521-TALK, 521-8255. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Okay, I've got a veritable canoe full of calls to get to, but you're all going to want to hear this. And I'm sure that Rob Snow is going to have more on this tomorrow morning. 
News release from the city. The city of Ottawa's Green Bin program could be expanded under a revised contract with Orga World Canada Limited, according to a report that the Environment and Climate Protection Committee will consider on Monday, March 26th. Starting in mid-2019, plastic bags and dog waste could be included in green bins for weekly pickup, eliminating the need for special liner bags and reducing odor and pest concerns. This expect uh, this expanded service would cost the city an additional $626,000 per year, working out to $0.15 cents per month for the average household. This all from a news release from the city. And then a wonderful comment from... Mayor Jim Watson on how this is a good thing. I think we got to look into this. Uh, let's see. Let's go to uh, Michelin. We're going to try and get to everyone quick. So go quick, Michelin. I'll be quick. Mali uh, peacekeeping mission. We heard a lot uh, of uh, with regards to uh, Mario Dallaire today, but I would like Lou McKenzie to speak out tomorrow. Thank you. Well, I'm trying to get him because uh, while I respect Dallaire, he is uh, not the only general that we should be listening to. That's why I called yeah. and that's why I'm calling back. Lou right. McKenzie has to come and, and speak his uh, mind. Thank you. All right. Point taken, Michelin. Let's go to uh, Francine. Francine, you're on Beyond the News. Desperado. <laughs> is, that what you, is that a theme song for Wynn's campaign? That's right. Desperado. <laughs> and you know, I love it. Uh, Desperado, it's like... You better come to your senses. You better come to your senses, because you know what? <laughs> you got a lot of trouble coming along. Uh, my son, uh, he's, voted, he's voting now the second time around. She's insulting students from university. She's insulting not just old people... Well, old people a little older than me mm-hmm. that are white that are voting. There's a lot more people than that that are voting. And there's an awful lot of people that are insulted by her. Uh, hopefully your son has some common sense and isn't backing her this time. Thanks for the call, Francine. No, he's not backing her. Good, good. He's not backing her. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, let's go to Frank. Frank, you're calling in about wins promises. Uh, are you excited about the universal uh, yes, car wash anything, program? Right? Yeah, like, you know, them uh, graphics, like, uh, you know, the, uh, like, I've been a long time uh, conservative supporter and member as well. Okay. And as well, uh, I met most of all conservatives, and uh, like Kathleen Winner, I suppose, was uh, now a little bit in the hot seat there. Like, if you got. Uh, okay, but what do you think of her promises in the throne speech today? She's promising to look after every part of your life if you just vote for her. Well, like, if uh, talking about whites now, there's mostly all old voters, young. You got uh, it's a pretty tough time to get the young voters out there, which they don't really give two hoots about politics at all. Like I met, uh, you know, I met uh, personally uh, Pierre Pauler and uh, Kathleen. No, not Kathleen, but uh, no, um, Lisa McLeod. Yep. Okay, we got to go quick, Frank. I got a yeah, couple and more calls. Quickly, I would say uh, uh, the Doug Ford government it would be a good uh, change. I think so. Very good for business is what I'm thinking. Uh, that's going to be Doug's calling card. Let's hope he delivers. Although, as I always say, as the good book says, put not your trust in princes. George, 
You're calling in about free dental care. I'm one of these dangerous white males, too. Oh. Really dangerous, eh? Well, th- you know, those are the worst kind. I know. And by you keep me on the phone longer, the magnetic contact against my, against my skull here makes me live longer. Good. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm good for your health, George. Okay. The uh, dental care, I think it's, it's going to be the most important concept they're coming out with because I, I didn't vote NDP if I thought that they, they, they'd bring it in because uh, nothing else compares to that one because everybody I know has a dental problem. doesn't matter who it is. All you right. You probably have dental so, problems, don't you? So uh, do you like waiting a long time to see your doctor? It doesn't matter. Because you're going to wait a long time to see your dentist. Lots of people are. I can name... Okay, but but, uh, George, uh, we've got to make this quick, but if if someone can afford to pay for their dentist or they have coverage for their dentist, why should the government take that over? No, they don't care about that. that, Instead of looking after people that can't afford dental care. They don't care about that reasoning. Because what you have is a bunch of thieves out there now who claim, well, I'm poor and I'm going to use it as a crutch to steal money from everybody else. Poverty now is being used as a crutch to get everybody else's money that they're too lazy to go out and work for. Uh-huh. I, I see. I can see that at the library when I go to do my research. Not one of them in there is looking to get out of poverty. They're just looking to look and have a good time with your money. All right. Thanks for the call, George. Right. And last word goes to Guy tonight. Guy, go. It was a throne speech that would make Karl Marx blush, I say. <laughs> it was a throne speech that would make a Marxist laugh. I just want to say as well, I think Kathleen had her Hillary basket of deplorables moment on Friday when she was in front of the Humber students. But unfortunately, we have no media that will report on it. Regarding Obama and 08, you nailed it perfectly. He was a hero for data mining. He was a hero for micro-targeting. Google and Facebook had conferences based on how good Obama did in 08 and doing all his social media work, yet Trump is decried as evil criminal in 2014. And who is this Cambridge Analytica? The data sets that uh, Parscale said he didn't even use. And the whistleblower, a former person embedded in the Liberal Party of Ontario. Canada. now we've got lead now, and we've Mm -hmm. got lead now embedded in the Premier's office. Brian, what you're witnessing is the social deconstruction of democracy by the left. And the hypocrisies are just so rampant. But that was a throne speech that would make Karl Marx blush. Thanks for the call, Guy. That's going to end the show for tonight. Back at it again tomorrow. And you know what? I'm actually in all five nights this week. Oh, no. Oh, no. There's there's one night I might not. We'll talk about that later. Uh, But I'll be in Friday. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Thanks for listening. Remember... I'm on your side.